The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. And so here I am. We're here to preach. And it's like, well, you only had a short time to go. But you know what? If I had a month to go, I'd still be here on Saturday night figuring out my sermon. So it doesn't really matter. I don't have any slides today. But let me ask you this question. If you wanted to be a better employee at work, what do you do to learn your job better? You might take some job training. You might work alongside a more experienced employee to, to mentor you and to help you guide you. You can seek out your boss and say, what do I need to do to improve? And you can measure the results. In most jobs, you can measure how well you do your work. There are things that you do that are measurable. Um, that you, you, can, you can see that. You can see how many widgets you can make how many customers you serve, how much money you bring in, how many things you repair, whatever it is. I mean, there's all kinds of measures depending on the type of job you have. How do you measure discipleship in Christ? Is it how many Bible verses you can memorize? Is it what, how, you know, is it it's your church attendance percentage? If you're 100%, you're a better Christian than if you're at 45%, I don't know. What, how do you measure that? How do you measure discipleship? Do you ever ask yourself or maybe ask God in a prayer, how do I serve you better? How do I draw close to you, God? Sometimes pastors ask that question. God, how do I draw close to you? I'm doing all these things for you. I don't feel like I'm close. Measuring discipleship's not so easy. Measuring your walk with God is hard to do objectively, at least with earthly measurements. Maybe the angels have some measures within us that we don't have access to. They can see things, God can see things about our lives that we can't see, we can't measure, or don't know how to measure. But God knows. So that's what our, our big idea today is. By humbling yourself before God, you submit to him and draw closer to him. By trusting God with your own eternal future, you can sit back and relax knowing that life on earth is short and heaven is eternal. Humbling yourself before God to submit yourself to God. And we're going to look at today in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. So as we read this, if you'd like to stand up, if you're able, to stand as we read God's word this morning. This is the last chapter of First Peter, of the letter we, we call First Peter. And I'm reading from the New American Standard. Therefore, I exhort the elders, elders among you and your fellow elders and witness of the sufferings of Christ and partaker of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, 
but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sword gain, but with eagerness, not yet as lording over it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. And all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experience of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace will call you, into, call you to his eternal glory in Christ and will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. And so he ends this as if it's a prayer. Why? Because it is. This whole letter is like a prayer. So first, so first Peter chapter 5. There are three groups of people who should humble themselves before God. Number one, elders. Humbleness before God for the elders. That's, in our, in our vernacular, that's pastors. Synonyms, same word. Humbleness before God for the younger men. Younger men who are looking to serve God in the future. Humbleness before God for all of you, which is really all of us, the elders included. And so we're going to look at those three groups of people this morning. Elderness, elders are humble before God. It's like, well, why are you preaching about this? This is about you. Yeah, you got it. I, I could hold up a mirror here. I could put my phone up and put it in selfie mode, right? But why do I need to tell you? So you can judge the elders and make sure they're serving the right way. Whether it's I go off the track, you get a new elder someday in the future, you move and you go to a new church. Are the elders on track? Elders, look in verse 1. The elders, and Peter says, I exhort you, the elders among you, as your fellow elder. So he's saying that I'm on par with him. I'm on equal footing with the disciple Peter. That's a scary thought. But he calls himself a fellow elder. Now, Peter is a witness to the sufferings of Christ. I, I can't share that one. I didn't listen to it. I wasn't there. But he's also a partaker of the glory of the future. And that is that we share. And he says, so he calls him, he says he's a fellow, fellow elder. And that's not a point of pride for me. Or, you know, the Catholic Church says Peter was the first pope. I, I, I'm, I, I ain't no pope. Don't want to be no pope. Okay? That ain't where we're going here. An elder. But he was a human, a man, just like any of us. Just like me, Darren, Brian, Pastor Willie. He's just a man. 
who had the honor of being a disciple of Christ because he was at the right time and place to be with Jesus on this earth. He deemed me not worthy of that honor. He said, nope, you're coming later. You ain't coming until 1966 by your reckoning. That's my time. What? He said, shepherd the flock. Whose flock? Shepherd the flock of God. The church is the flock. But it's not my flock. It's not Darren's flock. It's not Brian. It's the flock of God. We all belong to God. Yes, you're a member of Tower View. I'm a pastor, one of the pastors at Tower View. But we all belong to God. This is God's church. And if the pastor ever forgets it's God's church and starts thinking it's his church, there's problems. There's pride and their arrogance that's going to start coming out. And he says, exercising oversight. And down in verse 3, it says, not lording it over them. It's not a dictatorship. You are not here to do my bidding or to Darren's bidding. I've seen a couple different pastors in the news recently that make me wonder about their, their walk with God. There's one here in Kansas City where he was complaining because the church members didn't give him enough donations so he could get a new uh, designer watch. You know, I don't have an Omega watch. That's like, I looked at the, I looked luxury watches up. It's like, Omega, that sounds like the coolest one. It's a Greek letter, right? No, I, I got a Garmin. That's about it. And there was a pastor in, a couple months ago, there's a pastor in New York City who was wearing so much jewelry and such expensive stuff, him and his wife, he was robbed during the sermon and it was caught on live stream. <laughs> now think about that. They, 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 you know, if somebody come and try to rob me, they ain't getting much. It's not worth it. You know, it's, plus, you know, what the camera going? They decided, they deemed, now they were wearing masks, so you couldn't see their face, but they deemed it worthy that he was wearing that much jewelry, and they figured he was wearing a couple hundred thousand dollars worth of jewelry around his neck, and then they robbed him and the wife who was sitting in the front row. Okay, we don't have that much jewelry. I have a wedding ring. That's about it, okay? Garmin, my glasses, all right? There ain't much there. We're not there. I've heard of pastors, you know, their pastors like, you know, we need to have a jet plane. My pastor needs a jet. No, we don't. <laughs> no. That's not, what we're, that's not what this is talking about. If, if that's what the pastor is here for, to get stuff, he's there for the wrong reason. Don't go to that church. That's the wrong church. And how is he supposed to do it? According to the will of God. Following God's will. He's, and he's to be an example It's not like parents, you know, I do as I say, not as I do type of thing we do as parents sometimes. No, you can't have donuts before dinner while you're holding a donut in your hand because that's what us dads do. Um, 
you know, you know, it's not do as I say, not as I do thing. You know, the pastor should be the example of how to walk a godly life. We don't have executive privileges under God. Pastors are under the same law of God as everybody else. God just gave us more responsibility, whether we want it or not. And who are we working for? Look at verse 4. The chief shepherd. This is the only time this title appears in Scripture. The chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. That's the boss man. That's who I'm accountable to. That's who pastors are accountable to. And if they don't realize that, you're at the wrong church. Jesus is the final authority. He's the final judge. He's the final evaluator. In the Army, I got OERs, officer evaluation reports every year. And you had to know what your rating chain was. Your raider and your senior raider. And as a chaplain, I had an intermediate raider. I only got one raider. It's God. And that's the one that matters. Does that mean you don't figure out, are you doing a good job? No, I mean, we still have to hold each other accountable here on earth. But ultimately, it belongs to God. And if pastors don't understand that, if you're at a church and the pastors, that pastor needs to go or you need to go. You need to find a better church. Because that is not a godly way a pastor is supposed to act. And so here is an indictment of how for pastors, their attitude. But it's also for everybody, even if you're not a pastor. Does this fit? Are my pastors fitting this model? Now, are they going to do it perfectly? No. We got you. God calls in perfect people to be pastors. I mean, you got a motley crew of pastors here for the Tower View. All right? You got a marathon runner. You know, in times past, Darren would be considered a curse because his children aren't perfect? Because one of them has autism? Well, God, God must be punishing him for something because his children aren't perfect. Well, you know what? Ain't none of us perfect. And Jesus said, when the disciples came up, and they said, why is this man blind? He was born blind. Did his parents sin? And Jesus said, no. He was born blind that, he could, that God would be glorified today. I don't know what God's glory has for Simeon or Darren and Natalie in the future because of Simeon. Brian's family is not perfect. They're struggling through things as growing Christians, young family. And Sonia knows I ain't perfect. <laughs> ask, just ask her. I, I came into the pastorate kicking and screaming. I was perfectly happy as a computer programmer. I could sit in my little cubicle and work, work, work all the binary stuff. God said, no, I got something else for you. All my jobs outside of ministry, I have never been told I'm a bad employee. Not when I worked at Kentucky Fried Chicken or Yoder's Bakery Frying Donuts or Radio Shack or Home Depot or Analyst International Corporation, the Department of Navy when I worked as a programmer for the Navy in southern Indiana. You think the Navy, you didn't know the Navy was in Indiana, did you? Especially down south, south of Bloomington. Yeah, they're down there, a few of them. 
Then I got into ministry. Well, maybe God didn't call you into this. You know, I was a campus minister. Yeah, maybe God didn't call you into this. Maybe this isn't your fit. I did that for three semesters. Then I was a pastor of a Baptist church here in the Clay Baptist Association, another church in the area. And after 11 months, and one of the deacons go, well, maybe God didn't call you to be a pastor. Then became an Army Reserve chaplain. Well, actually, I was trying to go active duty, and they put me in the reserves. And it's been a mixed bag. I've got awards. I've been told I'm a great chaplain. I've been told I'm an awful chaplain. Not by the same person, but... I've had the gambit in all the different units I've been in, and I was in quite a few different ones. I deployed three times, different areas. But if I brought my award things, I got a pretty good stack of awards there. So it's been a mixed bag. Then I'm here. I've been here for, what, five and a half years? As, as paid. I've been here much longer, unpaid. You all hired me without a job interview. You realize that, right? You just voted in one business meeting. I wasn't even there. <laughs> That's right. Darren just said, hey, let's do this. And apparently you all said, well, he's been here for doing stuff anyways. Might as well pay him. The only thing that changes now, I have an office. Some days I'm real, I work really well, and some days, well, if you come look at my office, that's what the inside of my brain looks like. Some things are well organized, and things are put right where they need to be. In other parts, it's a mess. All right? That's, that's the way. I, and I get so frustrated with my brain sometimes. AD, I, I went to school to become a counselor, and I found out I had ADHD. And, and it, it just gets so frustrating. I, want, I know how to do things, and I can't do it. It's like when you get older, you know how to do things, but your body says, nope, not anymore. <laughs> right? It's like, hey, I can, no, I'm not going to do that. No, you know, you know, sports, anything like that, other physical activities. Nope, can't do that anymore. Can't see that anymore. Can't read any. Yeah, I need the large print now. Yeah. Um, whatever it is, you know, that's, you know, people, I was struggling through counseling school because I was having trouble reading and writing. Not because I didn't know how to read or write, because I couldn't concentrate. They sit there and go to read, and, and like I, there's this anxiety that builds up, and I just couldn't do it. They said, do you need a tutor? I go, no, I'm helping you guys with your homework. I was explaining statistics to them. It's the only math class we had. I was like, oh, yeah, finally a math class. And one night, I went out, and I think I've told you all this before. I was just so frustrated. I went out, and I actually walked along the train tracks. Yeah, I know you're not supposed to do that. But walked along the train tracks, and I was out by myself, so I thought. And I prayed out loud, God, I hate my brain. And I said it loudly. And most of me, there was somebody walking down the road. <laughs> and he heard, help, I've been hit by a train. <laughs> and so he called 911. <laughs> and... I'm sitting there, and I, actually, I saw someone. I could see the, you know, the, the, the glow of the phone. It's like, oh, somebody's walking. I wonder if he heard me. Now, here comes an ambulance rolling up, stops at the train tracks a few hundred feet away. Police car rolls up. They start walking down the tracks with flashlights. It's like, oh, why? <laughs> they escort me to the back of the ambulance. They let me go. I told them I'm a chaplain, and I'm just praying out loud. Well, maybe you need to see somebody. I'm in school for counseling. Come on. 
So I've sat in the back of the ambulance, but I got out. They didn't, I didn't write anywhere, so. <laughs> hey, you hired me as a pastor. <laughs> God doesn't always work through perfect people. I tend to be more transparent than others. But God doesn't work through perfect people. You don't have to be perfect to serve him. Should we be striving for it? Yes, but you don't got to be. And so God calls elders, and it starts with them. It starts with us. Then it says there in verse 5, younger men. Who are they? Well, I don't know. I read through the commentaries, and they said, oh, it could be this, it could be this, and we don't know for sure. But my guess is it's the younger men of the church who are coming up, preparing to be elders in the ministry. Younger men are to be humble before God and be subject to their elders. Oh, those guys got to listen to us. And Hey, I need a cup of tea, please. Can you go make me? No, that's not what it's talking about. But listening to learn how to be elders, learn how to serve in the ministry. And that's all it says. Be subject to your elders. That's all it said. Now, to me, that means all the elder stuff applies too as you work towards that. But also, then it says in verse 5, and all of you, that means everybody else, all of us, are to be humble before God. And that's what the rest of the chapter covers, is all of us. What do we need to do to be humble before God? Us. First thing it says is what? Verse 5, clothe yourselves with humility. I'm glad to see everybody here is clothed today. All right? I'm... I'm it covers all of you, or most of you, all right? If, we were in the, if this was the year 1900, some of you could be arrested for what you're wearing. Me too. I mean, I'm, I got my elbows showing. I don't have a coat on. I didn't wear a hat. Well, I do wear a hat to church. But, you know, it used to be, you know, elbows and ankles being shown. That was, that was no way. 1900s, that was. But clo you're clothed, but clothed in what? Clothed with humility toward one another. Clothed with humility. Not to God. First thing he says is to one another. So that's all the people sitting around you in here. God calls us to what? Love one another. Did God ever call us to like one another? Well, not really. It says love one another. It doesn't say you have to like them. So you have to love the people you don't like. I really get irritated at those memes that, you know, talk about slapping stupid people. Because that is patently unchristian. We're supposed to love stupid people. We're supposed to love them. What does that look like? Well, Peter covers it pretty well in his, his letter. Look back a, a page or two in chapter 4, verse 7. Depends on how your Bible's printed, how far back you got to look. For me, it's just across the page. Chapter 4, verse 7. The end of things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment, sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers over a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint as each one 
as each one has received a special gift, employ it to serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do as one who is serving by the strength with God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Christ Jesus, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Wait a minute, I thought that was at the end of chapter 5. Well, he did in 4 too. We are to serve one another as if we are serving God. We are to serve one another as if we are representing God. Even to those people who make decisions we don't like. People who don't do things the way we think they should be done. It's a special service. We are called to love one another. To be fervent in our love for one another. Jesus, what did Jesus say? He said, they will, you will, they will know you are Christians by your love for one another. Not for your love for the world, but your love for each and every person in here, as diverse as we are. We got people who are got college degrees and professionals, we got people who aren't college degrees and professionals. We got people who make a lot of money, and we got people who don't make so much money. We got people that never even got a speeding ticket, and we got people that have been arrested for different things. It don't matter. We are to serve and one another, each other. Love one another. He says that again in chapter 2, verses, starting in verse 1. Therefore, 2.1 says this, Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word, so that it may grow in respect to salvation. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord and are saved, then you need to put away all your malice and all your deceit and your hypocrisy and your envy and slander. That should be gone everywhere, but it's especially got to be gone inside the church. It's got to be gone inside the church. How many churches have fallen apart because of this kind of stuff? I have been a part of a church that died, that ceased to exist. I was there the last Sunday it existed, and we didn't know it. We were down to four people. Pastor, his wife, me, and another man. The other man and the pastor's wife ran off together. But we were down to four. Others had left for other reasons. The, church, the pastor and his wife had started a preschool within the church, and nobody in the church would help. We had a bunch of gray-haired people that said that they would vote for it in the business meeting and immediately start complaining because they messed up their Sunday school classrooms that they used one hour a week. We had a tornado in town. In our parking lot, the state police came and set up their headquarter motorhome in the parking lot. The Kentucky Disaster Relief Team came and set up their food kitchen in our parking lot. And those people didn't show up except for Wednesday evening service. And then they complained about all the people in the parking lot. It never came to help whatsoever the other days of the week. That's how I got on the news in Kentucky one time. That was during that time. I was helping load a piece of furniture for somebody. And the cameraman happened to be there. So I was on the news in Louisville, Kentucky once. 
because I took about three days off of work so I could stay there and work. I wasn't the pastor. I was a computer programmer at the time. But the people in the church, all they did is... And there was a group of people that went from church to church doing that, and they got... Into, they, that, to me, was the really the downfall of the church. It was just what was left over time that, that, that last day happened. That is not how we're supposed to be. That envy, that slander, all that stuff, this got to be out. Clothe yourselves in humility to one another. Why? Back in chapter 5, verse 5. For God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. And he's quoting Proverbs 3.34 there. And if you happen to go read Proverbs 3.34, it's going to look very different than what it says here. Why? Because he would, and, and James also quotes this exact same verse in, in, in his letter. Because the New Testament writers were reading the Old Testament in a Greek translation that was done about 200, around 200 B.C. So the original was written in Hebrew. Proverbs was written in Hebrew. It was translated into Greek, with the, which is what Peter was reading that in. He was reading the Greek, so he took the Greek and put it in the Greek here, and then we translated the Greek to English here. Our Old Testament went from Hebrew to English and skipped those other two Greek steps in between. So there was an ex, in the New Testament, there was an extra translation. But it's the same idea. God opposes the proud, and he gives grace to the humble. Did you hear about the guy in the small town? He was given an award for being so humble, but they had to take it away from him because he wore it all the time. <laughs> That's an old joke. I didn't write it, but I remember. it's one of the few jokes I remember. We are to be humble. Be humble before God. And part of showing our humbleness before God is being humble before one another. John reminds us of this. The one who hates his brother in the darkness, walks in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling to him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So John puts it very simply. If you hate, if you hate your brother, you ain't walking with God. If you hate your brother in Christ, you're not walking with God. He just put it out plain and simple, black and white. If you're walking with God, you're going to love him, even if you don't like him. Even as if you don't like the kind of clothes they wear and they don't wear enough deodorant, you still love them anyways. So how all of you are to be humble before God. So number one, you've got to clothe yourselves. We're not only humble to each other, but we're humble before God Almighty. Look at verse 7. I'm sorry, 6. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. Well, I need to get what I deserve, right? Nobody ever thanks me. Why don't nobody thank me at that church? 
That other church, they do all these wonderful things. They don't, they haven't thanked me here. Is that, if that's why you're doing it, you're doing it for the wrong reason. Should we be mindful and thank people? Absolutely. Sometimes people fall through the cracks. Sometimes the leaders forget. Don't get around to it. That's on them. You are to serve whether you are thanked or not. Because why? Because God can exalt you way better than I can. I might give you a little trinket or a medal or a card, maybe even a gift certificate or a gift card to someplace. That ain't nothing compared to what God can give you. God's gift cards are way better than any gift card I can give you. But you got to wait on that one because you're not going to get God's rewards until you're in heaven. Sometimes you get exalted on earth and God will bless you in some way that you didn't expect. But even that that ain't nothing compared to what we're going to get when we're in heaven. So wait. Delayed gratification. Just wait on it. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. So, so first it said, humble yourself before one another. Then he says, now humble yourself before God. And continuing the same sentence, how do you humble yourself before God? Verse 7, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Casting all your anxieties. What's the limit there? There is no limit. That word casting in, in Matthew, I'm sorry, in Luke 19.35, which is the scripture where Jesus goes in to Jerusalem, what we call Palm Sunday, they use that same word. The disciples cast their cloaks on the back of the donkey for Jesus to sit on. That's the exact same word. Throw your stuff on Jesus. The way you throw a load on the back of a donkey. What do we put on the back of a donkey could carry? Everything we can that we don't want to carry. Now, I don't know how many people have donkeys, but we throw it in the trunk of the car, right? But you throw your stuff in the trunk of the car, you throw it on Jesus. But you don't understand the bad thoughts that I have. I can't take that to Jesus. I'm mad at God for the fill in the blank. Yes, take that to him. Because you know what? Not taking something to God is pride. That's saying, God, you can't handle this. You don't have enough power to handle this, so I'm going to do it myself. And so I'm going to hold on to that worry and hold on to that anxiety. I'm not going to give it to you, God, because you can't handle it. I have to do it myself. What area of your life is so important that God can't handle? What area of your life is so minuscule that God doesn't care about it? And so for those of us who have irrational anxieties and worries, this is an ongoing thing. It's one of the side effects of ADHD is anxiety and worry. Get anxious about everything. I'm worried about all kinds of stuff. Drive Sonia Batty. She goes, why are you worrying about that? I was like, mm. And so that's a lot of times when I pray, I have to pray out loud, one, so I don't get distracted. But two, I can just 
pray more. So if you come here at some time, you might see me walking around with my hands waving. That means I'm praying, doing this number. God, why? God, I hate my brain. And Sonia says, the one God gave you? I go, yeah, that one. <laughs> Take it to God. All of it. That's what Pastor really read this morning in Psalm 13. You read through the Psalms and you see David and the psalmist, they pour their heart out in God. In fact, this here, casting all your anxiety, actually comes from Psalm 55. I'm going to take a moment to do it. Let's go back to Psalm 55 for a moment. I thought I was going to preach my whole sermon on that, but that didn't happen. So I'll try to be short here. I did what I told Darren not to do. I used the time word. Psalm 55, verse 1. Give an ear to my give ear to my prayer, O God, and do not hide yourself from my supplication. Give heed to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint, and I'm surely distracted. That doesn't sound like an honorable prayer to the holy God. How else is God described in Scripture? He described Abba Father. He's described as a friend. Jesus is described as our groom, our spouse. Here he's, just in, here he's described as a shepherd and a chief shepherd. That is not somebody you can't approach. And here David, it's, it, says in, it says in the prescript above, this is a Psalm of David. He's demanding, God, don't hide from me. In verse 4, my heart is in anguish within me, and the terrors of death have fallen on me. Fear and trembling have come upon me, and the horror has overwhelmed me. I said, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away. Get me out of here, God. I don't want to be here anymore. Can I go some, move someplace and start over? Verse 7, behold, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hasten to be in a place of refuge from the stormy wind and tempest. God, I want to go out away from everybody. <laughs> I want that cabin in the woods. Get me out of town. You ever feel that way? Here's David praying that same prayer. Say, God, get me out of here. I don't want to be here. Why? As you read through this whole psalm, I'm not reading every verse. They are out to kill him. He is running for his life, literally. And some of us are facing that right now because of health conditions. We're worried about our lives and the lives of people around us. Look down at verse 16. As for me, I shall call upon God and the Lord will save me. Well, that's pretty demanding, isn't it? God will save me. Verse 17, evening and morning and at noon, I will complain and murmur and he will hear my voice. What? We can complain to God? If we don't complain to God, we turn our back on God. You can take all your stuff to God, even your complaints. God, why did you put me in a church with some weird pastor up there? All guy talks funny sometimes. Reads through his lit, you know, has a messy office. God, why? 
Why did you let this happen? Whatever this is. Sonny could pray that. She married a computer programmer. She didn't marry a minister, and she didn't marry an army chaplain who's going to be gone for months at a time, sometimes years at a time. That's, she didn't sign up for that. We don't know all the things that happened in her life. Why, God? Why did you let this happen? Just look at the pastorate. Why, God, why did you let Simeon be autistic? Why, God, did you, you, you not marry a perfect person? Why do I have to deal with all the things that my spouse has? Why, God, did you put a guy with ADHD problems and make him a pastor that he can't remember people's names 10 seconds after they told him their name? I still get out the church directory from time to time. <laughs> Can't remember people's names. I remember stories. I could, oh, that was the person that did this and this. Yeah, but I don't remember their name. Okay. It drives me batty. Pastors are supposed to remember people's names, right? Why I wear, you know, during the week I wear polo shirts because... That way I look better. So you don't wouldn't think I'm, because, you know, I'm not a handsome guy. I know that. He will redeem my, verse 18, he will redeem my soul in peace from the battle which is against me. For there are many who strive with me. Look at, then go down to verse 22. Cast your burden upon the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. That doesn't mean nothing bad will ever happen. That means you can survive it. You can deal with it. Tell God all of it. Going back to 1 Peter. What else are we do to be humble before God? Verse 8, be sober, be on the alert. That means sober, not just not drunk. That means a to, to, um, to be awake, to be watchful, to be under control, to be balanced like an athlete training. Why? Because there's an enemy out there seeking any and all weaknesses. He doesn't quit. It says that he is a, like a lion seeking whom he may devour. Go back to Job, read chapters 1 and 2. Satan describes himself that saying, Satan, where have you been? I've been roaming the earth, looking. He's out there. He's looking, he's looking for the weaknesses. That's why you cast all your problems on God, because he's the one that can actually handle them. You resist him. You stand firm in your faith. No, verse 9, standing firm in your faith, knowing that the same experience of suffering have been accomplished by your brethren who are in this world. When Peter's talking about suffering, he's not talking about cancer and job losses and the economy and politics. He's talking about persecution. That doesn't mean that you don't suffer and all those other things too, but he's talking about persecution. People who are being thrown in jail because of their faith. And when that happens to you, don't be surprised. Because it happened to Peter, 
It happened to Jesus, and it has happened to people throughout history. It's happening today in countries around this world. There are countries in this world where what we were doing would get us arrested. If we were doing this in China, we would, not be, we would be arrested because we are not licensed with the Chinese government. And we don't have a picture of Jing Jiping up here on the wall, the president of China. And my sermon was not approved by a Chinese official. And we didn't have to go through any biometrics to get in and have our attendance taken by the government. In China, churches, underground churches like that that are found, pastors are thrown in jail, charged with sedition and tortured to try to get them to reveal the names of all the church members. And then they bulldoze the building that they're meeting in. We're not facing that in America right now. Maybe in the future, but not today. We have personal persecution. Sometimes people don't like you because you're a Christian, but not official persecution. But you stand firm in God. Why? Verse 10. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace will come to you to his eternal glory in Christ. This world is temporary. All the problems that you got, all those church members you don't like, we're all temporary. I remember listening to a pastor one time who pastored a church for a very long time and very successful. I, if I told you a name, you know who he is. And one of the things he told us is like he wanted to make some changes in the church, but there were people who opposed it. He just held the course. Then they died. Then he made the changes. <laughs> Someday we all die, right? Sadly, yes, that's a day, and we, that's a day we mourn, and we should mourn. But we should, for if it's a brother or sister in Christ, we mourn, but we also celebrate. But you think you put your worldly problems? I mean, think about if you had the worst life possible on earth, and you lived to be a hundred years old. What's that after you've been ten, you know, ten thousand years in heaven? Ain't nothing. It's a drop in the bucket. Do you remember all the reasons you drew a temper tantrum as a toddler? No. Because it don't matter anymore. Because you grew up. You matured. You understand the bigger picture. Grow up, mature. Understand the bigger picture of eternity in heaven. And realize there is no accolade you can get on this earth that can equal anything God can give us in heaven. God knows the future. Because God knows the future, you can relax and tell God about all your worries today. Because God knows your future, you can enjoy life even when it's difficult. Because God knows your future, the decisions and opinions of others don't mean as much. It doesn't mean that they mean nothing. They just don't mean as much. And how did Peter relate this? To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. God, you are the mighty God. You are the one who exalts us. You are the one who saved us. So help us to turn to you. Help us to turn to you for the first time, the day of salvation, when we repent of our sins. 
Help us to keep turning to you and casting all our troubles with you every day. And cast all of them, Lord, holding nothing back. You are the mighty, you are the mighty God. To God the Father be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Not just the weakness and the struggle that we have ourselves in often, but also um, 